Greetings, programs, and welcome to the Awesome Friday podcast. Coming to you on a Sunday, because Awesome Friday is a state of mind, not a place or time. My name is Matthew, and with me as always is Simon. Say hello, Simon. Hello, this is the podcast uh, uh, equivalent of Fresh, where the title card comes in like half an hour after the babbling starts. But hello, I mean, thank you for it's, joining It's us. always that. It's always that. <laughs> it <should be laughs> it's our best intentions. Well, I, let me tell you that I bought the West Side Story uh, vinyl, and it is a double mm-hmm. vinyl. And this thing is fucking gorgeous, which won't surprise you, but it, it's got this amazing gatefold with a like an oil or some kind of painting of the Jets and the Sharks and their girls facing off in the dance. And then each of the vinyls has a Jets or a Sharks sleeve with a ensemble picture. It's just gorgeous and it sounds amazing. Is this the like official one from Disney's yeah. record company or is it one of the like bespoke ones from like Mondo or something? No, it's not Mondo. It's um, it's official, but it's not Mondo. Um, hmm. But it sounds incredible as well. Really good quality pressing. And I also bought the 4K. They both came at the same time, just to remind me of how little money I have. <laughs> just like yes, what? Here's well, why there you are have money. there are worse things to spend your ill-gotten gains on than art. And, and that's my hot take for the day. You know, you're right. And I bought some art today, as I just showed you. But the in particular, this movie, I have not stopped thinking about this movie since we talked about it last week. Like, it's just... Yes. It, this it week, we're not talking my... about this movie, but we're going to talk about no. this movie for a few minutes, I feel. <laughs> we are, we are. My, my daughter, who's really into musicals, has basically seen... She, she had seen the original, and then she watched the new one, and she's been singing the soundtrack pretty much constantly... And when she's not singing it, she's listening to it. So our, our house has been uh, flooded with West Side Story pretty constantly for the last week. And it's been a wonderful thing. What a film, though. I mean, I'm a, the master making one of the best things. It's just uh, a pure joy. And I've been watching it with her in, in lunch as it's spring break. So da, da, da. And just open mouth at some of the framing. Mm-hmm. It's just incredible. Anyway, let's There's... not talk any more about West Side Story. I mean, it's it's real good. I don't think it's going to win the award, but uh, I think it's real good. Anyway, it's this week we are talking story. about... <laughs> no, no, we could talk about the Oscars for hours. And I think probably... Yeah. I don't know if we're going to do... That's so hard to predict, I think. Yeah, I think probably, you know, the Oscars are coming up on Sunday the 27th. So whatever our episode is after that, which I guess is... Uh, April the <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, we will be almost certainly recapping the wins and losses and snubs and such um, mm. and I think that uh, we'll have a lot to talk about on that day uh, and we should save it for that day Okay, is my second hot take for the day how are you? I need like a sound there? effect to go with that <laughs> yeah how are you like, feeling? the more you How's know <laughs> oh yeah things are fine uh we're ramping up towards the canadian film fest which is on super channel this coming week starting on the 20th which i believe is by the time no 21st i'll look that up um but <laughs> definitely by the time you're listening to this it will be on there's one film per day for i think seven days and there's some good stuff in there i haven't watched all of it yet but there is some good stuff to be had and all of it canadian which is always nice um, 
One in particular that I saw in Whistler Film Festival back in December is called, sorry, the festival runs from March 22nd to April 2nd, so so a while. Um, I do have an interview coming up that'll be published as part of that uh, with a filmmaker for called Katie Bolland, who I spoke to at the Whistler Film Festival and finally getting to post that interview. So I'm pretty excited to get that one going as well. Excellent. And yeah, I mean, we but we got you know we got invited to cover it this year, which was a nice gesture. So it's, nice, it's like we're going it? places, but not really. Um, <laughs> oh, you know, we're we're just going places just very slowly. Um, what's the best Canadian film go out of all of them? Like out of all of them ever? Cube, ever don't say Cube because that's mine. Uh, I mean, there's so many Canadian films. I would probably say that that's a tough one to narrow down to just one ever. I'm a big fan of a film from a couple of years ago called Barney's Version, which stars Paul Giamatti, and it's a uh, an adaptation of a famous Canadian novel, and it's about a man. Uh, I don't want to spoil it if you haven't seen it, but it's a really good Paul Giamatti performance and a real good Rosamund Pike performance, and it's basically the life story of a of an unreliable narrator, and it's a it's a very well acted okay. story. Won a bunch of Canadian Screen Awards. Um, there's so many films that are only partly Canadian too, which is an interesting thing at the Canadian Screen Awards every year because you know films that are up for Oscars and such are often up for Canadian Screen Awards too. Like Brooklyn was a big one the year it came out. Um, this year's selection. So the Oscars are coming up on the 27th, and just a couple weeks later, the Canadian Screen Awards for film are happening as well. And uh, there is some good selections in that too so i'm probably going to post a here's how you catch up with the canadian screen award best picture nominees post in the near future as well because there are some legitimately great films in that lineup too would you say there's this whole discussion about canadian films versus like american films is very interesting to me because obviously i'm english so i studied lots of european film stars so i could talk to you about the differences french film and german film and british film would you say that there's a, a, a like what would you distill down to the Canadian film difference to other film styles is there something that sets apart Canadian films and like American films or any films from the world is there any defining factor yeah they're smaller very generally a lot more character focused and even the ones that are bigger are often like we you know it's this we're a large a physically large country, uh, but we are population-wise, you know, we're roughly a tenth of our neighbor to the south. So our industry is smaller, doesn't have as much money, but uh, that means a lot of our stories are more character-focused, and um, you know, they have a more uh, and a more intimate feel. The ones I end up liking anyway and tend to have a more intimate feel. Um, there was one that I loved at the film festival, the Vancouver Film Festival, in twenty. 20 called happy place which was just um about five women who are in a recovery center together um sort of each working through their own traumas uh there was another one last year that i really loved a horror film called anything for jackson which is available now in places which has two canadian screen legends um julian richings and sheila mccarthy as grandparents who lost their daughter and grandson and now have turned to like devil worshiping in order to try and resurrect their grandson. And it has a super small budget and the whole production team's main like oeuvre is all like Hallmark 
style, like like literally like Hallmark Channel, like Christmas stories. And then they made this one super dark, low budget, super fun <laughs> horror movie. It's such an interesting and good film. Um, so the, again, the ones I like tend to be like that, though, right? They tend to be smaller. They tend to be a lot more intimate and a lot more focused on characters than anything like big effects. Um, I think one of the odds, the odds on favorite for best picture this year is one called Night Raiders, which is uh, set in a sort of dystopian future mm-hmm. Canada um, in which like native children are like kidnapped and appropriated into uh, white culture. And there's a big set piece at the end and you can sort of tell they didn't really have the money to pull it off maybe the way they wanted to, but it's still a good movie. Like it's still a really interesting story. Uh, so, you know, things are getting more imaginative and then there's also a whole discussion to be had about like, you know, Canadian versus French Canadian film. A lot of the, a lot of really good films I've seen out of Canada are in French. So it's a, it's a wider discussion, I think, than, than maybe your question implies. Sure. No, it's still interesting to hear that kind of smaller, more focused feel because of the using way more Canadian films than I have. But that definitely tracks across things like uh, like Beans, for example. That that really fits into that description of it being this very Canadian thing, very character based, smaller, but also that huge focus on history as well. And I think that's the, the Canadian difference as well. Yeah, there's a lot of reconciling our own past as well. Um, uh, And that's a good thing, especially lately. There's a lot of indigenous filmmakers uh, in Canada now um, telling some really interesting and I think important stories. Uh, And there's some pretty good documentarians as well, telling a lot of interesting and important stories about Canada's past. I think that's important too. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Well, next week on Discovering Film, we talk about... (laughs) The Winnipeg difference. <laughs> um, okay, so let's talk about a homegrown, small-budget Canadian film, Spider-Man yeah, so we... No Way Home. <laughs> yeah, two films this week, one of which is new to home video and one of which is new in theaters. And the first of those is the Spider-Man, the latest edition. And you've seen this more recently than I have because I did yep. not get a chance to rewatch it now that it's available on home video, but I did see it while it was still in theaters and I very much enjoyed it. Um, mm-hmm. well, I'm going to go ahead and say, why don't you give us the plot rundown on this one? Because you've seen it more recently. Well, yes. So you bought it for my birthday. Thank you very much. Um, the end of Spider-Man Far From Home, um, uh, after he's beaten Mysterio, Mysterio... Uh, releases a an edited together clip that outs Peter Parker as Spider-Man and broadcasts it via um, JJ. So JJ is still J. Jonah Jameson is uh, still the actor. Oh, you're going to help me with the actor's name. Who was in the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies? Uh, uh, his name is J.K. Simmons. Sorry, my mic Thank was you, muted J- for some reason. Oh, okay. <laughs> So Jenkinson's, but the what I really like is that the JJ now is this um, web. We won't mention any names like Joe Rogan at all, but he's this schlocky web investigative journalist who also uh, pumps his own brand of um, health supplements as well. So oh, it's a it's a it's a very thin pastiche of the Infowars <laughs> guy. Yes. Um, so uh, he outs. 
Peter Parker as Spider-Man. And Spider-Man No Way Home picks up precisely at this moment where he's uh, he's just uh, given his now-girlfriend MJ a swing through New York City. And um, he's suddenly on every screen and suddenly every camera is pointing at him and the world's media descend on him and it all gets off very, very quickly. And uh, a big chunk of the first part of the movie is him dealing with the fact that everybody knows he's Spider-Man now. And this bleeds through his personal life, his school life. It gets him rejected from his next step into university. Him and his friends will get rejected from MIT. So he decides to go and visit um, Doctor Strange um, to ask him if he can conjure a spell where he just uh, makes everyone forget about the fact that he's Peter Parker. And it turns out that there's a pretty run-of-the-mill spell that he can do. And uh, Doctor Strange references this when he talks to... Oh, Oh, he talks to Wong. Thank you. And I really like the actor as well. I can't remember his name too. Um, And he's like, well, I made you... Sorry, yes. It's Benedict Wong. (laughs) It's Benedict Wong? It's it's easy because his character name is the same as his real name. It's Benedict Wong. Right. They really reached out there. Um, So he made Wong forget some tiny things. He's like, yeah, we can do this. No problem. But uh, Peter being Peter... Um, throws in a bunch of like um, new conditions to the spell as Doctor Strange is casting it and basically the spell goes massively wrong and the uh, cracks appear in the multiverse and um, people that know Peter Parker from different multiverses leak through into uh, this universe. And so the rest of the movie is Peter working out who these people are and how to defeat classic enemies like Doc Ock and the Lizard and Electro. And you've seen all these in the trailer, no spoilers, um, with some help from some friends. And um, and that's the movie. I'm not going to talk. I can't really tell you about anything more because on the the 1% chance you don't know exactly what happens in this movie because it was everywhere on the internet like weeks after it came out. He comes to realize what it means to be Spider-Man and that (laughs) with great power comes a saying linked to that Spider-Man character. And so he learns that and by the end of the movie he's kind of reset into your local neighborhood friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. That's really all I can tell you. Yeah, that's pretty close that's to it, movie. really. I mean, it sort of depends. I'm of two minds on this, because on the one hand, spoilers are a thing, but on the other hand, this film is me. It's like the fifth highest grossing film of all time or something now. And uh, I mean, I've seen clips of most of it just on TikTok as well. So mm-hmm. I don't yeah. think it's a secret to say that there are other Spider-Men in this yes <laughs> um yes. and that the villains are basically all from prior spider-man films um yes and i think it's i, I think it's a really interesting choice because uh, it's also basically a sinister six movie which sony has been trying to make happen for my entire life mm-hmm. like ever since they got the rights mm-hmm. to make spider-man movies basically yeah um and I think it does some really interesting things to grapple with the sort of legacy of both Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man films. 
And uh, I quite liked it. It's really overstuffed and it's really long. But it holds together despite all of that, I think. It shouldn't, but it does. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, it's again, it's hard to get into without spoiling it too badly, but there, there are some choices that are made that I think are good. Uh, in particular, that I think rectify a couple of the problems with Tom Holland's Spider-Man. Not in his portrayal, because he's really good, but in terms of just the way the character is conceived and written. Mm -hmm. and you know some advice that he uh, you know the, the famous line was never said until this movie and then the person from whom that line comes is uh i think important and makes a lot of sense yes um and then there's also just a lot of really great scenes with the three spider-man just like hanging out and being spider-man <laughs> you know it's the best those are the best parts of the movie for me is there's just scenes where they have to sort of stop and talk and all of those scenes are great well, that's the thing that the the scenes with the three Spider Men are so clearly the best part of this movie. It makes for me the rest of the movie feel quite flat. Like the the uh, Andrew Garfield is amazing. Now I haven't seen his two Spider Man movies, but um, I think I might watch them now because he's a he's such a great actor, and Tobey Maguire has always been great. And so you put these three boys in a room and there's a really wonderful dynamic about how their characters kind of fit together that felt really kind of Spider-Verse, you know, that kind of level of the different Spider-Mans like interacting. And Andrew Garfield's basically, he does so many off the cuff reactions that I'm sure a lot of it's improvised. There's one point where they're trying to work out how to communicate with each other so they don't always sort of try and do the same thing at the same time because of course they have to learn how to be a team and uh that's a wonderful moment when he gets assigned uh he gets to be peter three <laughs> he and up to that point he's been joking about how he's like the least important of the peters and he's like yeah of course i'm peter three and it's just like <laughs> this wonderful throwaway moment and he's brilliant toby Maguire has this beautiful quiet quality and Tom Holland is like an excited puppy at all times. And then you've got Andrew Garfield, who's this weirdly confident, awkward, <laughs> like nerdy kid. But they're all having such a great time. You can really see how much a great time they're having, the three of these these guys together. And Yeah, um, they really do. They, they just I mean, bounce off a lot each other so well. There's even a line where Garfield says, like, man, I always wanted brothers. You know, like, it just yeah. so, it's such a perfect line and so perfectly delivered in the moment that it comes. And apparently he improvised the I love you guys line. And it just feels so perfect, Andrew Garfield thing to do. And yeah. apparently he was just in the moment and he just felt so happy and he just said it. And it was like, yeah, we're keeping that. And um, it's, for me, this movie, I am quite surprised at how this movie didn't land for me because Spider-Man was my favorite um, hero, like as a kid. I'm pretty obsessed with Spider-Man. Um, and I loved uh, Far From Home, like the Mysterio movie, I thought was absolutely brilliant. I just loved it. And I rewatched that recently as well. And this for me, I agree, it's, it just feels totally overstuffed. I think you could have 
sliced out two of the villains and not lost anything. Maybe even three, but you needed a reason for Garfield to be there. Um, and it just feels like it doesn't really go anywhere in terms of, yeah, he has his arc and he does learn something and yes, decisions are made and then those decisions have repercussions and with great ability comes great accountability. And uh, that's fine, but it just feels quite flat compared to um, Far From Home. And I also thought, and I don't want to spoil the ending, but I did not feel good at the end of this movie. I did not feel good, like, emotionally at the end of this movie. And I can, I kind of see so it, what they were going for. I, are you saying it made you feel not. sad, or are you saying that you just didn't like it? Um, both. Both. I mean, because I think, I think that the, I mean, the end is a little bit on the melancholy side, and very purposefully so. And I would argue that that is one of the things that makes it a good Spider-Man film because the way that it gets there, I think, really cuts to the core of how the character is supposed to be. Sure, I, but uh, Peter's not melancholy. Peter's not melancholy at the end of the movie. He's pretty happy with his life, and that just felt completely hollow to me. Like I, I we can't, okay. I can't Wait. really spoil why he's <laughs> at that point. But so, so I'm going to go ahead and say that I disagree. But if we're going to keep it as spoiler light as possible, I can't tell you why. At least not on, <laughs> at least not while okay, we're recording. We'll do it. But the, I think the, I, I don't think that Peter is necessarily happy with his life, but I think he's at peace with his choices, which I think is a different thing. Um, and again, I think that that cuts to the core of what's who Spider Man is supposed to be. And to be for the record, that's one one of the things that Andrew Garfield's movies sort of got wrong was that they sort of misunderstood who Peter and Spider-Man are supposed to be in a way. And I think this, this is probably his best Spider-Man, not probably this is his best Spider-Man movie. Um, it's not the best Spider-Man movie, but it's Andrew Garfield's best Spider-Man movie. And I'm actually pretty happy for him that he got some measure of, uh, you know, closure and, and a good one. I'm like, he deserves a good one and I'm glad he got a good one. So yes. I haven't seen a, either of the amazing Spider-Man. Is he the, the character that he was like in No Way Home? Was it? Is that how he played it in those movies as well, or is there a difference? Because there is, um, there is a difference in time between the characters as well, which is a really nice element they added to Andrew Garfield's character that he's had more time to be Spider-Man, and it's affected him in different ways. So. Is well, they do that with Parker. both of him and Maguire, right? Like, yeah, I think that's it's made. True. That's true. I think it's made pretty clear that they're both pulled into this universe from, you know, uh, Maguire. Maguire's last outing as Spider-Man was in two thousand and seven, I believe, with Spider-Man three, and it's pretty clear that it's been fifteen years since he's mm -hmm. been seen. Like those fifteen years have passed for him. He's always, and he can't hide it. Like it was already kind of a stretch for Maguire when he was like 25 playing a 16, 17 year old. And now that he's, you know, he's older than me, he's older than you. It's just too much of a stretch. So I think it was a good choice for them to be like, he's a, he's a man now he's existed as Spider-Man for a long time. And I think it playing into that sort of calmer, more mature portrayal of the character was a very good choice. Yeah. Um, I think the thing that, um, the thing that the amazing Spider-Man movies get wrong is that they want Peter to be 
cool and Peter's not cool. And at the, the Marvel, the new ones kind of get that wrong too, a little bit. He's much more of like an excited nerd, but he's, you know, he's cuttingly handsome and he's confident and well, I mean, he stammers, but he still, he never, he never stops from doing anything. Right. Whereas Mm -hmm. Peter of the comics is, kind of a kind of a stuttering fool right like he's he's a huge dork and andrew garfield's spider-man is i mean it's in the amazing spider-man 2 when they graduate from high school he like swings in from defeating a bad guy comes around a corner and like lays a huge kiss on gwen stacy which is just not something that peter would ever do right he just doesn't have the self-confidence unless he's wearing the mask so giving Garfield's character that time to sort of mature and maybe become something else. Um, and I think the choices they made about that play perfectly to the end of amazing Spider-Man two and where the character would have gone without spoiling it. Um, mm-hmm. I think that all three Spider-Man were sort of joined the, the story, the story in good pl- in excellent places in terms of the story choices. Mm-hmm. And then also, I think they also leave it in good places personally. So, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but I mean, ultimately it's got, in some ways it it has the same problem that Raimi's Spider-Man three does in that it's just overstuffed, right? Like, I think you're right that they probably could have cut out two of the, I guess there's five villains, Mm -hmm. am I counting right? So they definitely could have cut out three, but they're, again, they're trying to get, I see they're trying to get to a Sinister Six film and it was just as fun, especially in the early scenes when the villains are all just kind of kind of hanging out. And they're all just yes. talking. Those scenes are super fun. Um, but it does become a bit of a... And it, I mean, honestly, it is it is good that they're outnumbered, too, for the big final fight, right? Like, I think it's a good choice that they have to struggle against the odds. And that way they don't have to bring in a bunch of, like, CGI henchmen or monsters to sort of round out, to, to, to raise the stakes. They just have these characters. I don't know. It's a mixed bag, it's right? Amazing. Like... It's. I think it's a good movie. I, I think it's well worth seeing. I'm glad it made a bazillion dollars. I know they're going to make more. Um, it is overstuffed. I think I liked it more than you did. Um, oh, you definitely did. Yeah. But I also, to... I also think it's pretty. I think it's pretty middle of the road in terms of Spider-Man films. If you're going to rank them. Mm. Yeah. So. No, you're right. Yeah, you're not wrong about any of that. Really, it's there's. There's a lot to be said for focus, and this film just doesn't have, in large chunks, it just doesn't have it because it's trying to do too much to, for too many people. I wonder, actually, because this was meant to be the last Tom Holland Spider-Man or the last Spider-Man in, in the MCU sort of series. And then suddenly the Sony contract got renewed for another three movies. So I wonder if this feels so overstuffed because they were trying to just finally do all the things for this one big send-off. I personally thought, before they got the um, the thing renewed, I thought this movie would end with him being spun off into Venom Venom World or whatever, so Sony could carry on making their own Spider-Man movies without Marvel's involvement or contract. But now he's going to make another three. Like, what? Where where's it going to go from here? Like, it doesn't feel like there's in terms of the legacy of spider-man i mean that sony are making that madam web movie at the moment as well maybe at some point they'll get 
Madame Webb and the actress from um, uh, Euphoria has been hired to possibly play Felicia the Black Cat, which would be great. And so maybe they're starting to piece together with Venom as well, like an alternative, like um, antagonist cast for future Spider-Man to come up against. But I, yeah. I wonder if, if, if the end as we got it, was originally the planned end before that contract got renewed. I don't know. But we'll, we'll, we'll never know, will we? Uh, so I don't, I don't think you're wrong, and I don't think that we will ever really truly know until like years down the line and there's some, you know, tell-all book or movie or whatever. But I do think that the ending leaves Spider-Man in a more Spider-Man place, in a more comics-accurate place mm-hmm. uh, than any of the MCU films have been for better or for worse. And I at least like that about it. So I don't, uh, you know, it's, it's the the suit he ends up in is certainly the closest to any of the suits closest to the comics anyway. Yeah. And just the situation, the character that he finds himself in at the end is also much closer to the way Peter is and has been in comics for most of its run. Mm -hmm. So, Ultimately, I think it's a I think it's a good Spider-Man story. I think it's a little bit overstuffed, and I think that all of the most of the choices, not all the choices, but most of the choices in terms of how and why people were brought into the story were good, and it was fun. And I am glad that I you know was able to see it in a theater. I think mm-hmm. as much as I think it's going to look great on my TV, I think having seen it in a theater, I, I'm I'm glad that I did. It's it's the type of movie you want to see on the biggest screen possible, right? Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I had the, uh, I mean, unlike you, I I took the time. I mean, I had the time, so I did. Uh, I watched all five of the prior Spider-Man films. So I watched all three Tobey Maguire and mm-hmm. both of Andrew Garfield's outings. So I was much closer to it at the time that I saw it as well. Mm-hmm. And I think, and again, just like I said before, I think it's good that they, I mean... I think they both got a better film out of than their respective last previous last films for the character. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that is a good thing. And I'm glad it happened. Are the Garfield films worth watching now? I don't know. I don't, they're not good. The first one's better than the second one. Well, actually the thing is they're both bad, but they're both bad in completely <laughs> different ways. Right. Um, the first one legitimately feels like it, like there's parts of it that just don't make sense. Um, and not in like necessarily big ways, but like just stupid little ways. Um, and the second one is so cynically full of Sony studio notes and attempted world building before they had any, any momentum to do that. Um, that, like I say, they're both, they're both bad, but in very different ways. Um, but ultimately the biggest flaw with them is one thing that I didn't like about the Tom Holland ones, which this one fixed is that they also, and I know, I know that his Andrew Garfield's movies came out like right after Tobey Maguire's, but they never say the line. They never say with great power comes great responsibility. They dance around it for all of both movies, but they never say it. It's only ever maybe alluded to. And I think it's too important a facet of the character that he has that ingrained in his being 
that they both suffer. And I think all of Tom, both of Tom Holland's earlier two suffered at least a little bit because they didn't have it. Mm-hmm. Even though he gets like, again, they sort of dance around it a little bit in his first appearance in Captain America Civil mm-hmm. War. He sort of, yeah. you know, he, he, he all, it's the same as with the amazing Spider-Man one. They, they come right up to the edge of saying it and then rephrase it. And it's not impactful. <laughs> it's, it's, I, do you, do you think that that's done intentionally to kind of spend a few movies getting to make that point? Or are they just trying not to say the thing? I think it depends which one we're talking about. I think in terms of Andrew Garfield's films, I don't know for sure. Obviously, this is all speculation on my part. But my feeling is that, I mean, Andrew Garfield's first film came out, what, five years after Tobey Maguire's last outing and I think they just didn't want to say it again they wanted to be like we are making a different film yeah even though we're telling Spider-Man's origin again less than a decade (laughs) later um and I think that what they tried to do with Tom Holland's outings is just take Spider-Man's origin as rote which is definitely a a valid choice like I think that choice can be Mm. isn't necessarily a bad one I mean very famously the uh, the best Batman version of the last ever is the Batman the Animated Series. And one of the first chapters of their sort of show Bible basically says, Batman's origin is known. We never have to tell it. And I think <laughs> really? this is... Really yeah, and, and I think going that route with Tom Holland's was probably the right choice at the time. But I still think that at some point earlier, having that lesson instilled would have been good, even though the way they instilled it in this film, I thought was great. Yeah, that's an interesting right. point. So, it's a... Uh, and I'm not even... There's a lot of criticism, especially online, that I don't get that, like, Tom Holland's Spider-Man in in uh, Homecoming and uh, Far From Home, that, like, he doesn't get out of anything on his own, he always needs help, which is just, like, I wonder if people have even watched these movies sometimes. Because both of those movies are about Peter learning to trust in himself and learn to do things himself without help. Literally, the theme of the first movie is, you know, is Iron Man saying, if you're not Spider-Man with with my suit, you shouldn't be Spider-Man at all. (laughs) And so then he goes out and wins. And then he goes and wins the day in like his, in his, you know sweatsuit that he made. So it's, you know. Yeah, after, after turning down the help of the Avengers. So he could do yeah. it by himself. Like, that's the point of that that movie. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, like, there's definitely, that's just, it's, again, I think that Tom Holland's films in some ways have felt a little bit like Spider-Man light. And I think this film does a lot to fix that, which I'm grateful for. I feel like I'm going in circles at this point. So, I don't know. What do you think? Mm-hmm. It's just such a long movie and there's so much going on in, like, every way that that can mean. So it's hard not to talk in circles a little bit. No, I know. it's. Uh, I think a lot depends on what you as a viewer expect from your Spider-Man. Like what, what elements can, can you get rid of and it still feel like Spider-Man? And I think it's really interesting. For me, actually, a big part of why I don't like uh, the first one, which is Homecoming, the first Tom Holland, yeah. is... Um, a big stretch of that movie, he's not in New York. He or he's not in a city. 
that has lots of swingable opportunities. In fact, they make a joke about it when he's running from the party and he tries to web something and it just goes into the air and falls down. And um, he's in this like slightly more rural uptown area. Well, I mean, uh, the joke there is that more of New York City is like that than is actually a place. Like, <laughs> I don't know if you've been to New York, but in, in New York City, there's really only like a 20 block area where he could feasibly be a web slinger. You know? like it's not it's not the bustling <laughs> metropolis that it is in the comics. <laughs> but that's an in, you know, that's a, a vital part of that character for me that I discovered. Like and it it, it was kind of made better in um uh the second one Far From Home because they had the the very tight like Venice is very tight, London's very tight, so lots of swinging opportunities. And uh, I think for me, having an area around Spider-Man where he can swing around and be Spider-Man is actually really, really important to the to the whole thing for me. So I can see exactly what you're saying about him needing to learn that lesson. I just, I just found the the resolution of this movie is trying to make you feel like happy, sad, or like, oh, okay, that was worth it. That's sad, but it was worth it. And for me, at the end of this movie, I was just like, that's really sad. I don't think it was worth it. I think the sacrifice he made was um, just didn't feel like at the end when you you think, oh, yeah, okay, so he, he did the thing, but I'm sure it's going to be okay. I was like, well, he did the thing. And then there's this postscript where the thing he did is further underlined. And it just made me really sad. Maybe I'm just watching a lot of things about friendships at the moment and seeing that affected didn't make Maybe, me feel uh, good about Spider-Man. It didn't make me feel good about the ending, about him like, oh, okay, I'm in a new place and I'm now, I've got a new suit and I'm going to go be Spider-Man. And like, I, didn't, I didn't feel positive about that. Yeah, I guess for me that that, again, part another part of the Peter Parker character that makes makes it makes him Peter Parker and makes him Spider-Man is that he always, always has trouble balancing his two lives. Like he's not Bruce Wayne. He doesn't live in harmony with himself at any point. And in most of the best Spider-Man stories, he has to choose usually to sacrifice something personal to win the day as Spider-Man. And I think this film that's just exactly what happened in this film, right? He makes a big personal sacrifice to save the day. And it is very sad for his character. And I, I thought it was maybe further than the films have gone before, but, um, uh, cause I, even the, the McGuire ones are better at it than the Andrew Garfield ones, but they only, it's never been, it's never gone this far before, I guess is all I'm trying to say. And I sort of understand where you're coming from. But for me, it's, it's again, along with, you know, it's it just all underlined by the, with great power comes great responsibility that like his choices are to lose or to lose something. Mm-hmm. And he, he will always choose lose something. And that's just who he is. Right. And he can't ever have both. He can't, he can't win as Peter and win as Spider-Man ever. Mm-hmm. And the only times he has done ever that I'm aware of, and I'm sure someone will come along and correct me, but the only Spider-Man story that I'm aware of where he manages to fully balance his life as Spider-Man and his life as Peter Parker is the superior Spider-Man story in which Dr. Octopus takes over Peter's body. (laughs) So (laughs) it's not even Peter. (laughs) 
So, yeah, I mean, for me, I, I get what you're saying, but for me, it's actually perfectly in line with the way these stories should go. So that's my take. That's my third hot take yeah. for the day. Yeah, it's. I'm just trying to find where that line is between worthy sacrifice that is meaningful, sad, but meaningful, and just sad. And I was on the just sad line. <laughs> like, I don't want to feel sad at the end of a Spider-Man movie. Yeah, but you're but also anyway. like it's 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 sad, but it's also hopeful. So see, I I didn't I see I think that's the key difference. I didn't feel hopeful at the end at all, like not slightly. Yeah. And I think and I think if you did not if you if one feels hopeful, that's gonna make the 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 whole end of that movie feel better than like me sat on the couch going oh. Like, I didn't feel hope at all. I just felt really down about it. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, fair. But anyway, I mean, you know, but... it's almost like, almost like art is subjective. <laughs> but uh, honestly, watch this movie for the Spider-Mans, like, interacting with each other. It's just glorious. I mean, and i got to say, Zendaya was my absolute standout star of this movie. There's one moment where she just says, Wizard Dungeon, and it's the funniest damn thing in the whole movie. The way she delivers the two words, <laughs> wizard. Dungeon. I mean, we've we've also glossed over the fact that um, basically all of the villains are having a great time too. But in particular, <laughs> Will, Willem Dafoe and Alfred Molina, in particular, are and so both good. Great, yeah, yeah, they're really. They're so good, and they both just slide right back into character. And and also, this is the first one of the first times I can remember where I saw it, and I'm like, and I thought to myself. Okay, Alfred Molina is 20 years older than he was, but he looks exactly the same, and I can't <laughs> yeah. tell. Yes. Like, the digital and de-aging it, in this is pretty spectacular. Uh, is it digital, or is it makeup? It's digital. It's digital. Right. At least for Molina, it is. He's too, he's too old and aged too much. Uh, right. I don't know, but Will, Willem Dafoe sort of looks a little bit the same these days as he did 20 years ago, but Alfred <laughs> Molina is, has aged to 20 years. Um, My kids which happens to us all. My kids reacting to Willem Dafoe as well. Like, you forget the first time you see Willem Dafoe do something that is outside of anyone's normal box because they haven't seen the uh, the Tobey Maguire movies, so they were just like terrified of him. Like, what? Who? How is he doing this with his face? I'm like, yeah, it's Willem Dafoe. That's what he does. Yeah. He's just really, really good at, at that. <laughs> yeah, it's also yeah. honestly, and Jamie Fox is also quite oh, good. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. I, and I feel like it's also nice for him to be able to play that character and have it be a good thing because the the way Electro happens in the Amazing Spider-Man Two is not good, mm-hmm. like it's not good at all. And I like that he's yeah. uh, much more in line with the comic book version of the character, right? And even just it's even underlined by that. There's a line somewhere in the middle where he says, "I like who I am in this universe. I don't know if I want to go back." And yeah. it's like, yeah, it's because in the other universe, you sucked. So, <laughs> and it wasn't your fault. Like, it's definitely not your fault. You gave them, seems like you gave them exactly what they asked for, but what they asked for yeah. sucked. Yeah. So. Okay. So we've talked Good. for 45 minutes about Spider-Man. <laughs> so <laughs> Indeed. What would you give it out of five? I ended up giving it a three out of five. What would you give it out of five? Two for the three Spider-Mans and Wizard Dungeon. 
Really? Because two. Oh, so where? Here's a question I don't think we've ever actually talked about. For me, three is the point at which a movie is fine. Two and one are both like bad and really bad. So is this like mm-hmm. bad yeah, or? So I don't think it's a good movie. Oh, okay. Fair enough. Yeah, I don't. For me personally, my reaction to it was, oh, I mean, it doesn't have, may, maybe like this is all affected, of course, because I loved Far From Home, loved it. Mm-hmm. And so that's affected by that. And my emotional reaction is a big defining factor in these things as well. So um, it's, yeah, it's it's less than, slightly less than good. Though hmm. One is bad, right? One is really bad. Two is less than good. Three is fine, good. Four is very good. And five is uh, uh, amazing. So, yeah, but that's how fair. Do you, yeah. Yeah. That's basically where I am. Like three is fine, fine approaching good, and four is good approaching great, and five is great for me. Yep. And everything under yep. three is some level of bad. So Yep. I, I'm completely on board with that scaling system. Good. Well so then we are on average we think it's fine, I guess. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Some but you should totally it, see some it. Some parts of it are fine. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't write a review, but I did write a bunch of notes on Letterboxd when I saw it. And the one line that really sticks out to me that of what I wrote is that not all of this works, but the stuff that works really works. <laughs> so, yes. And I think that's a pretty perfect one-line review of the film. I'd agree. <laughs> Even yeah. if you do yeah. say so yourself. Yeah, yeah. I, I would agree. And I'd say the ratio isn't there for it to carry over for the whole movie to be boosted by that, but the, it's worth seeing just for the three these three actors having a great time with each other yeah it okay. is good so, well, let's move on now that we've talked about the old movie for longer than we planned mm-hmm. to let's talk about a new movie <laughs> um now in theaters from uh focus features i want to say um is the outfit which is an old-fashioned single location mystery thriller drama starring mark rylance and zoe deutsch and a number of other people and spoiler alert for how we're going to talk about this but it's great i really liked it (laughs) uh what did what did you think about it Simon? oh i loved it i haven't been to the theater in a long long time and this felt like going to the theater like it's uh and uh, and for those of us in for those of us in north america he means uh the stage not the screen oh jesus christ a cinema is not a theater all you people stop saying the cinema is a theater anyway well, you're you're, um, you're in a different you're in a different country sir I know, it's, <laughs> just, it's literally just me um anyway this is the live breathing theater the real theater um and i uh, i love single location things anyway like I love bottle movies, but I especially like single set dramas and especially when they're this good. And uh, turns out Mark Rylance is a pretty good actor. That's <laughs> true. The uh, What happens, give, before I give my opinion, tell me what happens in this movie, The Outfit. So The Outfit concerns an older man who's a, a not a tailor, but a cutter. A man who crafts uh menswear suits and the like and he owns his own shop in chicago in the in the mid late 50s and he his wares are high end enough that there's only one group of people who can really afford them and that is gangsters and that is basically the whole movie 
that uh, he makes suits for gangsters. The gangsters also have a Dropbox in the back of his shop. He's basically, for lack of a better word, he's not like a protected business, but he does allow them to keep a Dropbox in the back of his shop. And um, he's sort of allied with this one crime family in particular. The, uh, the main character we see, the main characters we see from this crime family are uh, the sort of son of the boss, who's played by Dylan O'Brien, and that guy's muscle, muscle-bound friend, who's played by Johnny Flynn, and the boss himself is played by Sir Simon Russell Beale, who's also spectacular. And Zoe Deutsch plays the receptionist to the shop. And everything is sort of going along as planned. He's making suits. And then one night, the son and his muscle-bound friend bust in. They've been shot. And they have a thing, a tape in a briefcase from a bug that's been planted somewhere where the family has met and discussed stuff that will get them in trouble with the feds. And then the rest of the movie happens. Everybody wants the tape. And there's a ton of twists and turns as to who has the tape and what's on the tape and where the tape was recorded and whose allegiances to, to who else. And I don't want to say any more because it is great and you should totally watch it. I don't know. Did I miss anything? I feel like that was everything. No, <laughs> no, you don't say anything at all. Like the, um, what's really interesting about this movie is that if we told you a fundamental piece of this movie, it wouldn't actually be that big a spoiler because they don't hold it back from you. Um, they actually, the audience has a uh, uh, perspective on this that is special because it, the audience can see things that are um, the, uh, how do I say this without giving everything away? The characters don't see all sides. The audience sees all sides. The audience sees what's going on and you don't know why it's going on. That's the important thing until the very, 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 very end. But you can see it happening. You can hear it happening. And it is just like, sometimes good theater feels like eating a really good meal, like a really good steak. Like I, it's just delicious to see these things unfold with, with, um, without being rushed and there may be things that you don't understand and disagree with. And if, if something happens, like in this movie, for me, there was one major part that I thought, I'm not on board with this. Like, this part doesn't work for me. This decision doesn't work for me. And it is a fundamental decision. And it, it would change so many things in this movie. It would solve so many things in this movie. And... It's just one of those wonderful moments where you're like, oh, I'm not sure if this thing is really going to affect how I feel about this film. And then at the end, it's like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh. And it's just like, you've been led down a path. It feels a lot like when I saw um, Unspectacles in, in London, when that final moment, everything just slots into place like a mechanical jigsaw. And you have that moment of, Oh, <laughs> and there is no greater feeling when you're watching a story, really. And when you've got a cast this good, like Mark Rylance is like, you don't, you don't need us to tell you how good he is, but he's so unassuming and so softly spoken and so like delicate in his delivery. And it's a really nice um, contrast against the gangsters 
uh, and who I thought were all played brilliantly, like not too stereotypical, right? It wasn't too godfathery. There was actually uh, some really interesting character work from everyone. Uh, Zoe Dutch is is a great actress anyway, but here she's dressed up in period wear, and she looks so much like her mum, like Leah Thompson. If you look at Leah Thompson in Back to the Future, when Marty goes back in time, and then a screenshot of Zoe Dutch in the outfit, it's like disturbingly. I know that's how genetics works, but really, <laughs> she looks so much like her. And she was great in this as well. And I haven't seen her in many things. I know you're you're a fan of her, right? You've talked about her before. I yeah, really she's she's done a, she's done a lot of really interesting work, and she's always really interesting in it. And I'm I'm a pretty big fan mm-hmm. of hers. Um, I would say that the there's two things that I found surprising in the cast. And one is that I think Dylan O'Brien is generally a good actor. And I think he was great in this as the mm-hmm. sort of cocky, but not very competent son of the boss. Oh God, it's Teen Wolf guy. No way. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, he's shit. also, oh, uh, wow. he's also, he was great in a film last year called Love and Monsters, which you should totally watch. Oh, why do I, I feel, I feel like you should watch it. It's on Netflix. Anyway. Um, my only like really my only complaint about anyone's real performance was that dylan o'brien's um 1950s chicago gangster accent wavered a couple of times (laughs) in a couple of really obvious ways Uh the other surprise for me is that i really like i think simon russell beale is a really good actor and i don't think i've ever seen him do any kind of american accent before he's always sort of shown up and been a posh elder statesman of some kind and been like "Eh, this is what's going to happen now and uh you're all going to die Whereas this, he shows up as like a hard, like a thug. And uh, it was really against at least what I understood to be his type. And I found it, I, I really enjoyed it. It's same with Johnny Flynn as well. Um, Johnny Flynn's accent was really, really um, interesting. Oh, he was the Bowie guy. Um, yeah. The, th- really the, thing, most of, the thing most of you probably know Johnny Flynn from is that he was in uh, Emma two years ago. The Emma adaptation with uh, right. Anya Taylor-Joy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And um, uh, I mean, there's also a lot of like, this is an original an original screenplay uh, from Graham Moore, who I think also directed it. Um, Graham Moore is, yeah, he directed and wrote it with Jonathan McClain. And he wrote the Imitation Game, which was, you know, a blacklisted script, a blacklist script. Um, and when it finally got made, you know, Benedict Cumberbatch got nominated for Best Actor and it was nominated for Best Screenplay. And he's a fairly accomplished uh, novelist as well. So he's a good writer. But it turns out he's a really good, competent director as well. And it also, like for me, um, so I've been trying to watch stuff that I haven't seen before this year. I'm failing at it currently, but I'm trying to watch more classic <laughs> stuff that I haven't seen before. And one thing I'm really glad that I saw, I've seen this year is a Hitchcock film called Rope. Which I don't have you seen Rope? You know, it's one of the few Hitchcocks I've never seen. Yeah, me too. So Rope is a single room movie. It also takes place in what is constructed to be a single take uh, with Jimmy Stewart, and he's at a dinner party that's being held by these two young men. And right before the party starts, the two young men kill someone. <laughs> and they basically spend the whole rest of the movie like eating dinner and sort of glowing in the fact that there's a body in this cabinet <laughs> that no one's no noticing because they've pulled off the perfect crime um 
And there's several elements in this film that reminded me of that, one of which being the main part of the set. There's a series of windows that, and such that look a lot like rope, uh, but also just the hutch that they put the body into once somebody once somebody dies they put someone dies and they put a body into a, a hutch and it sits in a place and looks a lot like the same hutch from rope and i just thought that was kind of cool like somebody likes his hitchcock basically yeah yeah it's it, it felt very very hitchcocky indeed and instead of um hitchcock's a tricky style to emulate um because there's so much in the detail and then the shots and in the pacing and Many movies that try and be Hitchcocky and I, I think fail well, for a number of reasons. But this, this was a real. This could have been a solid Hitchcock movie, definitely. Um, yeah, and I think it's also just. I mean, anyone who's followed the podcast or the website for any length of time will know that I really end up liking films that feel like their plays, and this mm-hmm. feels like one of those, like you were saying, and it's just mm-hmm. directly up my alley with not only the cast, but the story and the way the story unfolds. I do have one thing I wasn't too sure about in the, and I I can't say it because it's, it's, there's a big, there's a big final twist that I don't think was necessary. I don't think it's bad. I just don't think it was necessary. And, um, but other than that, I thought it was great. And uh, it's, it's in some ways it's kind of an old school thriller, right? Like it's an ensemble of great character actors probably not going to make a ton of money probably not going to get a lot of awards love but the kind of thing that you know you know when people say that they don't make movies like they made in like the 80s and 90s well it turns out <laughs> they're still making those movies and one of them is called the outfit yeah it's really nice to see something like this actually get some money to be made because it's not a franchise it's not going to make hundreds of millions of dollars and yet it's it's one of these movies that really reminds you of how powerful films can be and how good they are telling stories that that many other movies wouldn't and it's uh it does harken back to when movies were really very much theatrical productions they were the 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 earlier thrillers that were almost as cameras pointed at the same sets they used in the theater same with musicals as well and this wasn't filmed flat like that. It was definitely, they, they made use of the space, but it definitely has this air of a theatrical production of being a singular piece of sharing the space with these people. It was quite intimate in how it was filmed. And there's, there's some really clever shots where we get to see things that other people are not seeing, if you know what I'm referring to. And if the other people were to see that thing, then major shit would hit the fan. And the the really nice thing about this film as well is that I can't wait to rewatch it because the knowledge you gain from the last act completely defines the rest of the movie. Mm-hmm. And so the first time you watch it, you have this wonderful, like I mentioned before, this wonderful, satisfying, oh, moment. But then the second time you get to watch it, knowing what's going on, and I think that's going to be just as satisfying. Like, I can't wait to watch it again. It's just a really great example of how to tell a great story in a single space with a, a very good script and a very good cast. Like, uh, and with an idea, like it, the, the analogy of the, the cutter, <laughs> not the tailor, the cutter, um, uh, the analogy of his job versus what was going on in the story as well was really clever as well, I thought. Mm-hmm. and uh, it's just great really really great 
I'm so so glad I saw it. It felt really satisfying. Yeah, and I I, I want to I want to talk about it more, but I don't want to give anything away. I think I think you should go see it. Basically, is my feedback for me. This is a this is a solid four out of five. Um, and I mean, it's early yet, but it's clearly one of my favorite movies of the year so far. Uh, I haven't seen that many films this year so far, but uh, it's definitely up there. Um, how about you? Yeah, I I think if we were doing half stars, I'd probably go for four four and a half. Um, mm -hmm. I know, I know what you're referring to. I think I'm fine with it because it gives us that clarification of a certain character. But on the other hand, I, uh, I do see what you're getting at, but it is still a wonderful, wonderful movie. Like a five for me has to be something that has really defied all my expectations as well. I'm not, I think I tend to score a little lower than you do anyway. So a four, a four, four and a half, a high four from me is still a huge recommendation. It's a, a really great film. Yeah, I mean, anecdotally, my experience of the way we rate films is that I tend to be, um, I think a better way to approach this statement would be that you tend to rate a little more extremely, if that makes sense. <laughs> like you're, you're much more willing to let things drag your score up or down than I am. Like, mm -hmm. uh, so my, I think if you were to like graph our scores, mine would be a much clearer bell curve and yours would be a little shallower <laughs> because it would have um, more, more at the high and more at the low than in the middle. Whereas oh, mine would have more in the middle. I think are that's an interesting saying, contrast. Are you saying I'm inconsistent and that my emotions rule me? I'm not okay. saying you're inconsistent. No. <laughs> <laughs> you think I'm wildly emotional. Yes. That, that might have something to do with it. I watched the Billie Eilish uh, documentary and cried at that as well. It's uh, Apple TV Plus. Have you watched this? It's called The World's a Little Blurry. No, it's I haven't really, watched it yet. You know what? It's really worth watching. I'm not a fan of Billie Eilish's music, really. I think her songs are, are good, but that it's not my kind of music, and I'm, I don't listen to her music. But this is a very good documentary, and it's... That's all they're coming for you. It's warts and all. Like that, it is not super stylized, like the Taylor Swift thing where she sat in a cabin, to uh, like around a fire talking about her process. It's very, very manufactured. But this is like she she must have had sign off on this, and she's clearly decided. Okay, you get to see me as you see me, and how this girl has dealt with. The amount of fame she's had before she's even 17 is beyond me like i don't know how she is managing to do it but um it's uh it's a tough thing to watch if you've ever been involved in something creative and then it's sort of got away from you like it's it's um it's affirming in many ways but it's also very sad in a lot of different ways but it's worth watching i really recommend it hmm. What was I talking about? Oh, yeah, well, so I cried at that as well. I, I cried at that, anything. That's very, very much like the outfit. Um. <laughs> <laughs> hey, she wore some outfits. There's a segue. She has mm. a large wardrobe. Um, so, yeah, I, I take your point. Yeah. Well, uh, I think that pretty much wraps up what we're at on both of these films. This ended up being a little more lopsided towards Spider-Man than I expected, to be totally honest. Um, <laughs> both from you and from me. Um, I, I think but, it's when when we disagree on a movie, right? That's when yeah. the time really ticks by. It's when we both love something, it's 
pretty fast. <laughs> yeah, it's also when we when it's something like this where it feels like anything we say is going to give something important away. <laughs> you know, like uh, the outfit is great and you should see it is pretty mm -hmm. much the sum total of what my review should be. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, the the way it's shot, the the acting involved, the the writing is also super good. I don't know if you mentioned that, but the writing itself is super good. There's a, a nice slow pace to the way you learn about Mark Rylance's character. Uh, it teases information about his backstory out of him very slowly, not very slowly, but like at just the right pace uh, to then have to have impact on the scenes in which he's currently performing mm -hmm. in a way that I found really effective. So again, all around, it's a totally solid movie that you should totally see. And uh, it's currently in theaters. So yes. I don't know when it's going to come to streaming. It will start, certainly be soon if you're still not going to theaters. But um, either way, you should have it on your watch list. Yes, you should. Absolutely. Yeah. Good. Well, um, I, I don't know. Tell, how do people give you money? We do this for free and we do a lot of things for free and we need some support and money. So thank you for listening. But here's That was the... Yeah the bluntest version of your usual segue, I, I think I so far. Well, we start out, we start out by saying, thank you so much for listening. We very much appreciate all of you. I understand we, according to our metrics, we have a number of new followers. So for those of you who are new to the show, welcome. And thank you for joining Hi. us. Um, if you would like to support us, wherever you happen to be listening to this, we would greatly appreciate if you could give us a five star review. Um, or a like, or a follow, or whatever it is, um, all of those things help us immeasurably. And if you'd like to support us more directly, we do have both a Patreon and a Kofi, and you can find both of those both in the show notes for this episode and at our homepage, which is awesomefriday.ca. Uh, and that is where you will find more content, written reviews, and interviews and such. Uh, we are starting to post more audio content as well. I don't know. Simon, do you have a games episode coming up soon? Uh, so I haven't, I don't think... <laughs> I recorded a, a gaming podcast at the beginning of this year uh, for an hour, and then realized it hadn't recorded anything. And uh, since then, I, I haven't, I haven't recorded anything since then. But I will, I will restart because I know that those are popular too. But, yeah, and I've, uh, we posted, uh, I've posted one interview episode so far with a Canadian filmmaker named Seth A. Smith, and there's another one coming up from Katie Bolland, and a few more with any luck as well. Um, so like yeah, we got lots. Of, yeah, we we got uh, lots of stuff coming up. So. Yes, we do. We do. And honestly, I really, really like, it gives me a lot of satisfaction um, when people talk about stuff they've heard on the podcast. Like, not necessarily agree or disagree, just like they mentioned something. I'm like, oh, you listen. Yeah, Thanks. me too. <laughs> so, uh, as always, we need to mention, of course, that we, uh, you know, this the episode is, uh, I should probably do a little more thoroughly that the episode is produced and edited by me and not written, but performed by me and Simon. <laughs> And uh, we we record and and produce and broadcast from unceded lands of the Musqueam, Tsleil-Waututh, and uh, Squamish nations. And um, I would give you a preview of what's coming next week, but as of right now, I'm not 100 percent sure. So wow, I'm on, you'll just I'm have to join us to find out. Tuesday. I'm on vacation Tuesday to Saturday morning, so um, it will be something that I probably haven't seen. <laughs> Uh, but but well, we've done that before. Yeah, and I mean, screeners can be watched anywhere with internet, so that's, that's, we will see. Yes, okay, well, thank you Good. for listening. Well, 
thank you for listening and 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 thank you for joining us on this awesome friday